This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week, We dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Hey there, welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet, and thanks as always for sticking me in your ear. And if you'd like to get deeper into Strange Planet, it's real simple. Just click on the link in the episode notes, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. You gain access to commercial-free listening. I love my sponsors, but occasionally you like to listen without commercial interruption. So you get that, you get bonus episodes, you get a free subscription to my monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, and more, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. I uh, can count probably on one hand the number of podcasts, radio shows uh, that I've dedicated to discussing or exploring the tarot, tarot cards. I know very little about tarot cards. Um, When I was a, a younger man and I worked on the road at an engineering company, a couple of uh, the crew members were uh, into the tarot and they were always wanting to do a tarot reading for me. So we're going to explore the tarot tonight. And uh, my guest is the author of a book called Tarot Life Lessons, Living Wisdom from the Major Arcana. And it's a collection of real life stories lifted from the journals of a professional tarot card reader. And within each story is explored the living meaning of the 22 major arcana cards of the tarot based on the author's more than 44 years of experience as a tarot card reader. Julia Gordon Bramer is a professional tarot card reader, a Sylvia Plath scholar, award-winning writer and poet, and former professor for the graduate writing program at Lindenwood University. She's the author of several books, including Fixed Stars, Govern a Life, Decoding Sylvia Plath, and the aforementioned Tarot Life Lessons. And uh, she's listed as one of St. Louis's top 10 psychics by Psychic St. Louis and St. Louis's number one fortune teller by CBS Radio. 
She's appeared on numerous local and regional television and radio shows, as well as appearances on Nickelodeon and MTV. In 2013, the Riverfront Times voted her St. Louis's best local poet. And she lives in St. Louis, Missouri, of course. Julia Gordon Bramer, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? Hi, what an introduction. Thank you. Well, it's all you. You did all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it sure is a cool uh, cool delivery. Nice to hear it from someone else. <laughs> so um, you're talking to a, uh, as I mentioned, a novice when it comes to yeah. tarot cards. Um, what are the essential things to know about tarot cards as a tool okay. of information? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so they're always lumped in with fortune telling. And I think that's very unfortunate. Uh, no, no play on words there. Uh, because fortune telling, of course, is saying what will happen. And tarot gives you a little more freedom. Tarot is about showing you where your energy's going and what will happen if you continue doing things the way you're doing it. So when I read tarot cards for someone, I'm really kind of tapping into your consciousness, your higher consciousness that you might not even be aware of. And I'm bringing it down. I'm showing you what you already know on this higher level and where your energy is going. And so really it's a heads up. You know, if you see something coming up that you don't like, a lot of times you can do something differently. So it's very much a tool. Uh, it, it has been used, I mean, really since the 14th century, but uh, Carl Jung famously used tarot with his patients, you know, the famous psychologist. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it, it gets very much into our, our subconscious, our, our awarenesses that we're not really clear about, you know, or just our general motivations. Um, it's, I always say the magic in tarot is really in how the right cards show up in the right place. I am just the channel for that. But um, but yeah, it's a tool. Uh, I would say it's a consciousness tool more than anything. Well, how do the right cards show up at the right person? <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's sort of spirit, you know. So if I'm reading your cards, I would, uh, if we were in person, I'd have you shuffle. If I were doing an online reading, uh, you know, which I do plenty of those, and even by the phone, I would shuffle for you and I would put them down uh, depending on your question. So a lot of people... Well, some people say they don't know what their questions are. Some people say, just show me what you see. And that's fine. And so I might do a general reading and get a little past, present, and future on you. I really like to do that with my new clients because, you know, they don't know me from Adam. You don't know if you can trust what I say if I just start talking about future stuff, right? So it can be very helpful to kind of get into your core issues and where you've come from and what you're in right now, what you're going through. And, uh, and that can give you a foundation to trust me for the future stuff. And, uh, and I can explore things more deeply. So if I pull down a card, you know, put down a card for you, and it says that you're, uh, you know, in a, uh, maybe a crisis in love, that's a famous one. <laughs> and uh, you might say, well, tell me more about that. Or maybe I'll do a whole spread just on your love life. And maybe we'll even name a person and get into what that person is feeling about you. And it's all it's all connection. So I can read your cards because we're connected just by being alive. 
I call that life force God. I don't tell people how to do God, what to call God. That's totally your business. Mm -hmm. But if you can go there, if you can say, okay, I'm alive, I, I'm hooked into this God spirit, you know, um, then then you have great power to make changes. And, uh, and, and we're just tapping into the same thing, which is the life source. So let's um, get into the actual, first of all, why are there so many different types of uh, tarot death? Oh. <laughs> because people are junkies. <laughs> it's, it's all the artwork. I mean, uh, yeah, there, okay. there are probably millions, uh, you know, I, there's all, there's like a new indie tarot deck coming out just, you know, probably every hour, I was going to say every day, but I know that's an understatement because I know so many artists who create tarot decks and, and some are better than others. Um, but it's, it's artwork and some of the artwork is better than others for readings. Uh, there is this uh, traditional, the classic, it's known as the Rider Waite. I've got my, my giant version here to hold up if, if we want to do any sample cards here. But um, so the Rider Waite, was put together by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, if you're familiar with them. They were a, a spiritual community back at the turn of the century. Uh, Alistair Crowley was, or Crowley, right. sorry, was was uh, affiliated. That old and, uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that old and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Oh, I could talk about him for ages. Um, but, uh, but so the Golden Dawn patterned, the tarot, they took the old tarot from uh, medieval Italy, which was used more as a game. Now, the lore is that there were secret codes in that tarot because it was the time of the Crusades. Mm -hmm. And so the world, you know, the Catholic Church ran everything. The Catholic Church was the government. Uh, they were not necessarily comfortable with, you know, some of these symbolic meanings and 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 whatever. So things kind of had to go underground. That's the lore around the tarot. It, it isn't entirely proven, I'll say that. But we do know that the first tarot decks were in the 14th century and um, or 1400. So I guess technically the 15th century, if I want to get exact. And um, and so the Golden Dawn updated it and they really did a fine job matching it to the Kabbalah. Uh, uh, Arthur Waite and some of the others in their studies, they saw that this this Kabbalistic system really is. Uh, if you if you've ever seen a picture of the Kabbalah Tree of Life, and this gets very tangential here, but the the Tree of Life is like the blueprint that all of the paranormal sciences kind of rely on. So they they all run in the same system, and it's this. Kabbalah tree of life. So numerology, astrology, you know, alchemy, mythology, even they all fit this system so perfectly. And so Waite and the gang said, oh my gosh, tarot is part of this. And they redesigned it and they took symbols like every card. Here's the first card, which is the fool. And the fool is is number zero, and and the fool is about it's about nothingness at, at the um on the Kabbalah tree of life is the the ether above the whole tree. The fool is considered to be a card that's a bridge between this major arcana and the minor arcana that I'll explain in a minute. Right. But uh, but each card has has a mythological character. Um, the fool is Dionysus. 
and uh, and and there's a story built in, and there are are certain symbols and certain colors and certain numbers, and everything has um, information for the reader to read for the client. So you know, if if you pulled the fool card, mm-hmm. I would know that you were in in some sort of fresh new start, this new beginning, this clear mind, um, maybe traveling also, depending on your question, right. you know, and uh, and and we we take cues from the pictures, from the numbers, from the mythology in it, and this is how we process it. So. It's not an overnight thing to become a tarot card reader, although a lot of people rely on books, you know, if they haven't learned that background. Uh, I want to get into how you you started in a moment, but I just sticking with the cards here. And um, mm-hmm. if you're listening, we'll sort of describe them. And otherwise, you're hopefully you're watching on on the Rebel channel and you can see them. Uh, so when I think of tarot cards, I'm thinking of cups and wands and swords and kings and right. queens and pages and all of that. What, yeah. what do they mean? Okay, so the tarot is broken into two uh, sections, I guess you could call it. We have the major arcana, which begins with that fool, and it has some of the more popular cards. So, you know, the lover's card, the hermit, the death card, mm-hmm. these cards that we see in the movies, um, they are in the major arcana. And the major arcana are those big milestones in life. So they are um, the occasions when there's a marriage, when there's a baby born, um, graduation, um, retirement, divorce, uh, death can be part of the major arcana. You know, uh, all, all of those characters. We have we have the characters in the major arcana that every society has. We have we have the mother, we have the father, we have the lovers, we have the crone, we have the emperor. You know, we have cards for government. We have cards for being elderly. We have cards for money with the wheel of fortune. So. All of those are in the major arcana. So they're the ones that people seem most interested in. The minor arcana are the day-to-day kind of things. And they're what you mentioned, you know, we've got We've got the pentacles here, pentacles, the gold coin. And so that tends to be for money and career readings. We have the wands, ace of wands here. And ace of wands is is a kind of an energy and enthusiasm card, or or I'm I'm sorry, suit. So, um, So these are all suits. They're all in alignment with a regular deck of playing cards, which is why some people do fortune telling from regular playing cards, because if they get these the base, basics of the suits, so so those golden pentacles are money and career. The wands are enthusiasm and creativity and energy. Then we get into the cups, which are emotion and feeling. And we get into the swords, which are more action and decision. And so we, we have the whole suit just in the same way as a regular deck of cards, one through 10. Uh, and, and each number has a meaning. Um, Ones are all beginnings. We call them the aces. Uh, So so ace of swords would be in alignment with the ace of spades. And ace of cups 
would be in alignment with the ace of hearts because of, of love and emotion. And it goes like this ace of wands would be in alignment with clubs. So, and it is a club, in fact, the wand. And, uh, and then ace of pentacles would be in alignment with the diamonds as the things of the earth, you know, the materialistic kind of stuff. Interesting. So, so could you do a tarot reading? I mean, you wouldn't have the major arcana, but you would have the minor arcana with a regular deck of cards, right? Would you uh -huh. be able to yeah. do a rudimentary type I've done them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in a pinch, you know, if I didn't have a deck with me for some reason, which is pretty unusual, <laughs> I almost always do, but uh, at least in my car, but, uh, but yeah, I've, I've done them and they would give you uh, the basic sort of day-to-day -day stuff. Like I said, you're not going to get those, those big information things, but sometimes if there's a lot of the smaller cards like let's say uh i was reading from a regular deck for you and there were a whole lot of of diamonds which i would correspond with the pentacles well maybe i'd be like you got some money issues right now or or you're in the money right now depending on how the cards fall and what the question is so so there's you know they kind of feed off each other and support each other in a in an overall meaning as a psychic uh or intuitive um mm -hmm. Are you, if you were to do a reading for somebody without the tarot, and then you did this, I mean, are you going to get similar? I mean, how much of it is the, this tool of divination and how much of it is you? Or yeah. what you're receiving from wherever? Right. So to be perfectly honest with you, tarot is kind of my crutch. <laughs> so I, I have played some psychic games with with people. I had one friend who I was very close with, who, and he and I were very good at kind of reading each other's minds and, um, you know, just sort of riffing off each other and what, what impressions we had. But I like the cards, and I guess in, in part because my clients can see them and have this visual experience with me. I think they trust the cards maybe more than they do me because of course, you know, many times they don't know me at all. And so again, if I'm just saying what I see for you. Now, sometimes I do. I, I just not too long ago, I told my yoga teacher, you're going to have a baby within a year. I see it. I see this baby energy around her and she's trying. So, you know, probably, <laughs> but, um, and I have seen baby energy around others that I've that I've spoken up about because I knew it would be happy news. Uh, in general, though, I'm not somebody to just walk up and say, you know, the, you know, watch out, you know, something's going to drop on your head. <laughs> it's it's not like that. And I'm not the kind of psychic who meets you and and knows your name before you tell me and you know, uh, or or says, give me your birthday, and then I can suddenly rattle things off. I, I've said in my book, I've met those kind of people and they're impressive. That's not my gift. That's that's not how I work. But the cards for me are just uh, a, a beautiful instrument that that we share the experience of seeing. And I will talk through what I see. And of course, yet for reading for a stranger, which is always ideal, because then we have no background and I haven't researched you and it, 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 that's the best because I think that just shows the most and builds the most confidence. But you are, um, where was I going to go with this? I, I think that it's an experience that when you see the pictures, uh, you are reading it with me a little bit 
because of course you're living your life. So if I pull out a card that looks a little bit scary or even a card, you know, that looks lovely, like the two of cups, mm -hmm. and I start talking about a relationship, well, this is obviously a good, happy relationship right here. And maybe depending on your question, maybe you'll be very touched by that. Or maybe that two of cups is upside down. And I see like there's been this painful separation of a loving relationship. And, you know, and, and it's not unusual to have the tears start falling. Um, people can get very emotional uh, because you are reading it with me and you are experiencing it with me. Julia Gordon Bramer, Tarot Life Lessons, Living Wisdom from the Major Arcana. We'll take a quick time out back with more in a moment. Stay with us. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We're back with Julia Gordon Bramer, professional tarot card reader, Sylvia Plath scholar, award-winning writer and poet, former professor for the graduate writing program at Lindenwood University. Um, does being a, a writer make for a better tarot card reader? Uh -huh. um, that's an interesting question. I, I would say no in general. However, I'm also a scholar of Sylvia Plath. And Sylvia Plath had her own tarot cards. And when I was in graduate school, um, I had I had to come up with this project, uh, kind of a semester end project. And I had asked my professor, I said, you know, I, I keep seeing all this tarot imagery in Plath's work. What's this about? I haven't read anything about it. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, right here in Daddy, which is one of her famous most famous poems. And she's like, with my gypsy ancestress and my weird luck and my Tarok pack and my Tarok pack. Well, well, Tarok is another name for tarot uh, coming from her heritage, her Austrian German heritage. And, uh, and, and she makes all these references through much of her poetry about, about Jewish people and Judaism. And, and everyone's always thought, you know, she's been criticized for that. Like, who is she, this white bread, you know, Boston girl? Well, tarot is rooted in Kabbalah, mm -hmm. which came from Jewish mysticism. And so that started me down the rabbit hole there. And when I saw what Plath did with her book, Ariel, which, I mean, this this is like th my Bible. This is the book that completely changed my life. And each poem in Ariel perfectly corresponds to every card in the tarot. She, she's, she managed to do it all. Um, what she did, she well, she got all of the major arcana in order, um, from the Fool right to the World card. And then she, for the Minor Arcanas, she did um, one poem for each rank. So we have the rank of the ones, the rank of the twos, the rank of the threes, um, and getting into the court cards. And then she did four cards to kind of talk about the suits themselves. And so my first book, Fixed Stars Govern a Life, Decoding Sylvia Plath, is about that. Um, Plath showed me that one poem can have a multitude of meanings. And she was able to take 
one poem based on a tarot card. And as I said, each card has all this symbolism woven into it. So it's got alchemy, it's got Kabbalah, it's got numerology. She put all of those meanings in each of her poems in Ariel. So um, she was a genius as genius. And I, I guess I could say to answer your question, Plath showed me the mysticism in writing and especially what poetry can do. And of course, poetry was one of the first spells. Poetry, you know, with incantations and, and chants and that sort of thing. Uh, her husband, Ted Hughes, was, was very into mysticism, by the way. Um, your book on decoding Sylvia Plath, uh, I mean, and your professor you mentioned earlier didn't even make the connection between her and no. the arrow. Were you the first one to really- I, I was the first, I think. I think, you know, maybe Plath was waiting for me. <laughs> you had to be both a tarot card reader and a Plath scholar to pull it together. To me, it was screamingly obvious. And, you know, I went to the Plath community in academia, and I thought that this would be the most exciting thing in the world. And, oh boy, they did not want to hear it because, you know, it challenges careers and it's, and it's weird. And, you know, and who am I, this crazy tarot card reader in St. Louis, and I just have an MFA and they're all PhDs and, you know, and there's so many egos involved. So I was really shunned by the Plath community and uh, in a way that was very hurtful to me for a long time. But one day, took a long time. I, I honestly kept trying for a while. And then one day I was like, you know what? They're not my audience and the world is bigger. And in this time, since I got away from them, I've had so many miracles just around my Plath work. And I inherited Sylvia Plath's hermetic caduceus, something she hand carved when she was 15 years old in summer camp, she had been a mystic her whole life. She'd been kind of raised into it. And uh, and so I own that now. That is that is in a safe uh, because the value is incalculable. Her Platt's own tarot cards just sold for auction for over $200,000. And she didn't make those. I have something that she made by hand. So... Um, Pretty amazing. Um, I uh, through her friend of the family, Richard Larson. Uh, he arranged for me to have that. I, I have her high school graduation picture on my desk at all times. <laughs> I uh, I have a lock of her hair that um, a curator gave me, uh, and, and from the Plath archives. I've spent a lot of time in the Plath archives, just backing the stuff up and making sure that I'm not imagining something, you know, because I can, I understand wishful thinking and I understand that people look at poems and they say, okay, yeah, well, maybe this could mean that, but uh, I, I'm pretty confident to say I've nailed it and, and that she knew exactly what she was doing. And she had all the background in alchemy and, and astrology and tarot and, you know, every form of mysticism because her and her husband were, actively practicing it. And her journals talk about them doing Ouija boards and she's been photographed holding crystal balls and people just kind of laugh it off and don't take it seriously. Um, she called herself an atheist. And I, I think that's where my opponents say, ah, but she said she was an atheist. That doesn't necessarily preclude you from being spiritual. 
And uh, there is a whole large community of people who consider themselves spiritual atheists, but they're just not, you know, they're not looking at a God in the sky. They're they, But they can do oneness. They can, you know, they can talk about energies and um, and know that there could be something more. Right. Atheist, uh, it doesn't, but not a materialist. Right, right. And being, yeah, um, Plath, I think it's a bad rap, of course, because she killed herself. And so she's just kind of assumed to be a nihilist, <laughs> you know, like there's so many ists here. But, uh, but it's, you know, what I would say about her demise, um, even that is interesting. And I, I talk about it in my first book, because a rule of Kabbalah is that no one should practice it who is over four, oh, I'm sorry, who is under 40, and they're supposed to all be male. And this is what the rabbis taught for, for a couple thousand years. And uh, and so Plath and Hughes, uh, her husband, Ted Hughes, broke those rules. They were both under 40, and she, of course, was female. Now, the punishment is supposed to be madness, and that's pretty interesting. Um, she got her genius and, and she accomplished everything she wanted to, you know, she dreamed bigger. She saw herself, she called herself the girl who wanted to be God. And I think she did it with words, you know, she tapped into that source. And, uh, and so it's my mission to show the world that she was so much more than than just a writer <laughs> then you know she was a genius as genius and uh and there's also so much beauty and, and information for us in what words can do you know and i go back to the bible and you know in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god mm-hmm. that's straight out of the bible so to me like that's that's God. And I am, uh, I'm uh, delighted to be a, a channel for this. Uh, certainly nowhere near Platt's genius, but I was blessed enough to be the one to recognize it. Julia, we'll take another time out, come back and uh, we'll get to how you became a professional tarot card reader. And then we'll get into tarot life lessons. Back with more of our conversation right here on Strange Planet. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. Julia Gordon Bramer, professional tarot card reader, is with us, and the book Tarot Life Lessons Living Wisdom from the Major Arcana. So, what came first? You're studying Sylvia Plath or getting into <laughs> the tarot? Oh, my goodness. Um, I would say tarot came first. Um, tarot, I picked up my first tarot deck when I was 16. And I I tell the story in, in the book, which I, I have here, is, um, you know, I kind of wandered into a magic shop on a hot summer day in the 1970s. 
And uh, and I explained magic shops back then weren't what we see today. You know, today we have all this sort of spirituality kind of stuff. And, and you know, everybody knows there's a new age place down the street or where you can buy tarot cards or you can buy crystals. And that didn't exist back in the 1970s, at least not on any kind of common, you know, uh, ubiquitous way. <laughs> so I wandered into the shop looking at gag gifts and rabbits and hats and and silk scarves you know on on, on in unending trails mm-hmm. and uh and that is where i saw the tarot deck and uh and i describe it that this very hip girl behind the counter who was probably about five or six years older than me but to me she just seemed so wise and cool and she said do you want to see real magic and she brought them out of the glass case and she spread them in front of me. And it was like I was sold in a minute. And I just plonked down all my babysitting money. And that was the beginning. And for uh, the longest time, you know, I, I've been autodidactic. I've been self-taught uh, for most of my life here with with tarot. Every tarot deck comes with what we call a LWB, a little white booklet. And it's just the most minimal descriptions of the cards and their meanings. And so before I learned about, you know, all that deeper Kabbalistic stuff and the alchemy and all of that, I was just looking up my little white booklets and memorizing that. So getting just the very, very basics. And I hold that if you're learning tarot, if you're wanting to learn it, I think starting with a little white book is so much better than getting these volumes of explanatory books because the book, the little white book will make you trust your intuition more. It makes you work a little harder. You're not just reading something, Uh, you know, and, and I, I just find it, I, I think it developed me in a way I had never planned and, uh, and and I was everybody's favorite party guest, you know, everyone mm, said it was good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I've been doing it since I was 16. And over the years, I began to read about the other spiritual practices and and getting into more on on symbolism and, and all, all that. But it it took over 40 years to really get what I know in, <laughs> down. <laughs> Everybody I'm, I'm gathering wants to know about the death card. So let me ask you, does the death card ever mean death? I mean, I'm told, well, it Sometimes. means a new, a new beginning or it means the end yeah. of something else. Does it ever mean yeah. someone's going to die? Sometimes. Um, I'll, I'll pull it out here and, and we can talk about the symbolism. Um, so, you know, it's obviously very scary because death is scary, um, but it is considered a transformation card. So when it shows up, I would say, Richard, you know, if I pulled this for you, your old life is behind you and you're in a whole new life, but you don't know what that new life looks like. So that makes it a little scary. If you've, if you've just taken a new career, say, or, uh, or, or gotten a divorce, you know, and what does, what does the single life look like after that? You know, these are, are uh, kind of frightening moments. And that's sort of what the death card's all about. It has these characters on it. It's got a, a Pope and it's got children and it's got a king who's laying slain on the ground. And the idea is that death touches everyone. And we're all, we're not protected until a certain age and we're not protected if we're wealthy or if we're even the Pope. 
And so um, there's a Rosicrucian cross on the flag. Rosicrucianism is all woven into the tarot as well. Um, there's uh, distant pillars of, of New Jerusalem and the, the sort of idea of, of a hopefulness down the road. Um, so it's, you know, all, all of the cards are, are complex and they all have a lot of stuff within the pictures. But but no, to answer your question, I mean, it's rarely death. Now, I, I do have a story in Tarot Life Lessons um, on the death card chapter of going into a nursing home. And for those people that I was reading, death card was death, mm. you know, mm. and, and they knew it. And it was right around the corner, and uh, and some took it better than others. Uh, it was a, a, a really moving experience for me to read for some of those people, and uh, one man in particular who I wrote about, I'll never forget him. Um, uh, he was a, a, a World War veteran and uh, World War II, and and um, you know he was uh, cared about about his appearance right to the end, and and. But but he had nothing to live for, you know, and it was nobody visited him anymore and all his friends were dying and he just felt like, you know, he was ready. And uh, yeah, so so there can be some sadness in it, but it's it's not all that, though. You know, we you might get the death card if a baby's born, because that's the death of your life as as two people running around free, you know. <laughs> Time to sell the sports car. You need room for the baby seat. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, another card I'm guessing you get asked about a lot is the hanged man. Yeah. So the hanged man is, um, you know, people see it and they become afraid because they think it's a card of execution. <laughs> but I always say he hangs from his foot, not his neck. He's not dying. And he's got this, this enlightenment, this halo around his head. He's becoming enlightened and learning in his stuckness. So it's a card of being in some kind of limbo, usually. There's decision-making that often comes with freeing yourself from the limbo, and not everybody feels ready to make decisions. So, you know, I do see this with procrastinators and and with people who are just waiting to gather all the information. Um, you know, we, we have lots of situations where the hanged man, it, it is not a bad card, but it's waiting, watching. Um, there is a feeling of suspense because it's, of course, he's hanging in suspension. Um, there can be a feeling of martyrdom with it. Um, the mythological characters, I mean, sometimes it's seen as Christ. Sometimes uh -huh. it's seen as Odin. Sometimes he's seen as Prometheus. So there's always sort of a suffering aspect to that waiting. Nobody likes to wait. <laughs> true, true. So tell me about the stories in uh, some more stories in Tarot Life Lessons. Um, they're from your 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 journals, right? So My yeah. So over the years, you know, sometimes I would blog them and sometimes I would just keep them in my personal journals. And in 2020, when we were in quarantine, my husband had been pushing me to write a tarot book for a long time. And he said, you've got all these stories, you know, and some of them are, are amazing. And I thought, okay, well, I got nothing better to do right now. And I just combed over my journals and, and thought, hmm, okay, that would match this card and that would match that card. And, and I assembled them and some of them are, some of them were edited very little. Like it was just, I wrote it years ago and it was ready for that book. 
and others I massaged quite a bit to fit, but uh, but they're all real stories that actually happened with my tarot clients, and um, and they were all for me transformational. And so you know, I I believe as a writer, I have to write write something that would interest me. I wrote the book that I would want to read as a as a tarot card reader or as someone who was interested in tarot. Um, so. Is there a story that corresponds with each of the major arcana cards? Yes, there is. Yeah, each one. So there are 22 stories altogether. Um, the major arcana is number zero from the fool all the way to number 21, which is the world card. And that's where it gets a little weird. So I actually have a chapter zero because I start with my own story, the fool, and how I just wandered into this so naively and and the the magic shop and <laughs> and some of that and I talk a, a bit about how I found the plath work as well because that's such a part of my tarot journey. Uh, I, I think Sylvia Plath made me a better tarot card reader. I, uh-huh. I had been doing it for decades even then, but when I learned the layers and the depths, and I had never explored Kabbalah before, and I had never explored alchemy before, and these were just weird words to me. But um, yeah, so it's been 20 years of intense study of both Plath and Tarot, you know, and and those those other uh, pseudosciences, I guess some people call them. So tell me about another of the major arcana, the devil, and maybe yeah. a story in your book about the devil. Yeah, yeah. So the devil card, people are afraid of them. You know, he looks very evil, of course. Um, but he is a card of the material world. So the devil is not about evil, um, but he's more about stuff and sensual pleasures and living large, you know. So we love the devil in general. However, he does have these chains on this man and woman that that are beneath him here. And the idea is that he owns them <laughs> to a point. Now, in reverse, which when a tarot card is upside down as it falls to me, I may say it's a reverse meaning. In reverse, he's bad news because then then our passions own us or our addictions own us or our depressions and obsessions own us. So he embodies all of this energy. Uh, every card has its upright meaning and its reversed meaning. And the reversed meanings, a lot of times people get scared of those because they do tend to be sort of a darker energy. Um, but it's all part of life. And, you know, we've all been depressed or we've all been obsessed. or <laughs> So it, it's just something that everyone experiences. But But you don't want the devil card in reverse all the time. That's for sure. That would be a dark life. And so what is the corresponding chapter in your book about the devil? So the devil card is um, some gold diggers that were regular clients of mine and beautiful women uh, from another country who made, you know, set their sights on very wealthy men and in medicine and law and banking and, and, uh, and they, uh, they worked it, you know? (laughs) So it was, it, it it was pretty fun when I dropped my judgment because I, you could, you could read about these women and go, Oh God, you know, and here we go, you know, but when I, I, I try to see everyone, I mean, it, it's my job to see everyone as a human being and to understand where people come from and what, 
gives them these motivations. And so these two women came from poverty in a third world country. So, you know, uh, they were beautiful and they knew how to work it. <laughs> and, and they weren't interested in love. And in fact, they, I would say sometimes, don't you want real love? You know, you got this old guy taking care of you, <laughs> you know, 20 years older or whatever. And they were like, oh, love, I've tried love. That's no good. <laughs> you know, so they just, um, they amused me. They they became friends, as most of my clients do, not in a way that I would be hanging out with them, uh, picking up doctors. <laughs> but um, but I I found a way in to care for them. And I guess that's the thing is I am always looking for that human connection. I'm always looking to go heart to heart to really see the person. And um, because that way I can show them what they already know on a higher subconscious level. So 22 chapters. Um, I mean, there's stories in there of lessons, love, money, you just mentioned sex, death. Um, yeah. What's the whole the, gamut. <laughs> yeah. What's, so what is the overall message then or lesson you want readers to take away? Wow. Uh, our humanity. And um, I do want them to know that anybody could do this. And I, I should say, especially my humanity, because I've because these came from my journals, you will see my frustrations with some of these clients. You will see my anger with some of these clients. You will uh, you will see me feeling really insecure at on occasion. And um, just because I'm psychic, just because I'm in the top ten and and all of that, um, does not make me above you or anyone. And so. It's the tarot is a very human story, and we have these universal experiences, and and I do think that we all know these people. So even if you are are reading one of my stories and you're reading about the gold diggers or you're reading about um, uh, someone with an addiction or someone who can't make up their mind <laughs> like that hanged man, uh, we all know these people if we're not them ourselves, or or maybe we have been and have been there. And so it's a way to show some healing and uh, and really give some some spiritual lessons. So, yeah, that that's what I would like to have be the takeaway. Tarot life lessons, living wisdom from the major arcana. How do we get a copy? Well, we are on Amazon and through um, Barnes and Noble and all the major booksellers. Uh, it is released November 7th officially, but you can pre-order it now. I've also just finished up recording the audiobook, and that was really fun. That was a super big challenge for me because it required a little bit of acting and uh, a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I had a blast with it. So I have finished my part and they're finalizing that. And so I'm not sure exactly when the audiobook is released, but it'll be close to the November 7th date of the paperback release. And if people want to reach out to you and get a tarot card reading, how do they do that? Yeah, um, they can just contact me at tarot, T-A-R-O-T, at nighttimes.com. And that's N-I-G-H-T-T-I-M-E-S.com. And we've also linked up to your website uh, in the episode notes. Wonderful. Julia, great to meet you. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. It was really fun. Julia gordon Bramer. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 